All right, here we are. It's already been a pretty full, full service, but we got to make up for last week, so we still have like an hour and a half left, I think. <laughs> so uh, a few weeks ago, as I approached a, an intersection over 14th and Ocean Park, uh, the light turned red and an Eric Satie song began playing on the radio. It's beautiful and melancholy and, and calming. So, so while the car was stopped, I closed my eyes just to, just to take a breath. When I looked up again, crossing the street in front of me was a clown. <laughs> a literal clown with rainbow hair, red nose, funny clothes, big shoes and suspenders. A clown. <laughs> who is supposed to be funny and fun and happy, and so I laughed. I, I smiled, as, as you do. But at the same time, as he slowly crossed the street with the melancholy music playing, I, I started to feel sad. He looked sort of sad, and I wondered if I'd accidentally found myself in the middle of a movie, right? Like, it feels like a movie. But was he sad? Maybe he was actually happy, but off-duty, this was his resting clown face, right? <laughs> what if the music playing was something different? What if it was upbeat and happy? Perfect, yeah, and, and you see a clown crossing the street. Now the clown probably looks happy, like he's having fun. Maybe that would have changed my entire perception of that experience, right? But I don't know, because the light turned green and my mind turned to all of the things that I was supposed to buy at the store. Now, on the one hand, it's important for us to pay attention to appearances, because our, our bodies or our body language is often telling stories or telling, uh, giving us hints about what might be happening on the inside, what might be happening in our lives. <clears throat> but on the other hand, appearances aren't always what they seem. Appearances sometimes hide what is happening on the inside, right? Plus, how we interpret what we see on the outside is sometimes more about us and our experiences than it is about whoever it is that we're looking at. So the music influenced my perception, but, but maybe I was sad and subconsciously wanted the clown to be sad with me. I should probably see a therapist about that. Either way, there is always more to discover underneath what is on the surface. There is always more than the appearances. So it's, it's been a few weeks, it, actually like a month, but you might remember that before I left for vacation, we were reading through the book of 1 Samuel. And you might remember that when the first king of Israel was selected, there was a lot to say about his appearance. Saul was good-looking and tall. He was a handsome young man, better-looking than everyone in Israel, everyone. He was tall, literally head and shoulders taller than everyone else. But how would he lead? What is his character? In the end, his appearance didn't tell the whole story. So now God is telling the prophet Samuel that it's time to pick a new king. 
this king hasn't worked out. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel the prophet, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? I am sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer or a cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You, to are, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. All right. So, religion here is being used as a disguise for political intrigue, right? This is a conspiracy to take down the monarchy and establish a new king. It's a, a coup covered up by a religious ritual. Samuel sees the threat very clearly. Saul will kill me if he finds out that I'm doing something like this. And even the people of Bethlehem are hyper aware of the political tension because they ask the prophet, do you come in peace? Do you come in peace? In other words, please, please, please don't cause trouble. <laughs> like, we don't need a king mad at us. We don't need a king as our enemy. And again, Samuel says, no, 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 no. I'm just here to offer a sacrifice. But that's not entirely true. So continuing in verse 6, when Jesse and his sons arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But, the, but God said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, so has Samuel, the prophet, a religious seer, someone who is supposed to see clearly, has he learned nothing? Picking a king based on height didn't exactly work the first time. And here he is once again seeing only appearances. Wow, that guy's tall. He'll, he'll make a great king. The prophet is actually standing here in this story as a warning. We, we often read the Bible and we look at these religious figures and we think, oh, like they're the good example. We should do what they do. But the prophet is here as a warning of how easily this sort of mashed up version of faith and politics can begin to distort faith. A faith which then becomes a faith that distorts politics and power for its own gain. It, it gets really complicated and messy and dangerous. Samuel is both a prophet and a kingmaker, and he's playing a really complicated game. And it's becoming harder and harder for him to see clearly, even though he's a seer. Now, as I talk about this, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that faith shouldn't influence our perspectives on politics. I'm not saying that faith shouldn't influence our perspectives on a lot of things outside of church. In fact, Jesus' values and Jesus' message often collided with politics. The difference is faith seeking power over other people versus faith engaged in politics to help lift people up. 
Faith that seeks change in the service of justice and equality for those on the margins of society rather than faith seeking our own privilege and our own advantage. Jesse brings seven sons to this gathering. In the, in the Bible, you might remember that seven is the number of perfection, like seven days of creation. It's everything. Seven is everything. Seven is the appearance of a good and successful family. You bring seven sons because that's, that's perfect. Any of those sons would be a great king, except, except the appearance of perfection is not what God is looking for. Instead, Samuel says, God hasn't chosen any of these men. So he asks Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? You only have seven? Jesse answered, they're still the youngest, but he's out watching sheep. All right, so the youngest son is David. The youngest son is the brother who doesn't count, right? The youngest is the least valuable, the least powerful, the least qualified. The youngest is the outsider, the person on the margins. Out of all the important people that are there, God sees the one who isn't there. God sees the one who doesn't have a seat at the table. God sees the one who isn't a mover and a shaker in the circles of politics and power. And that's God's choice in this story. But when we mash together faith and politics together in a way where we can't discern which is which, like Samuel, we often lose our ability to see what God sees. A faith that centers the outsider becomes a faith that is mesmerized by power and privilege and height. Now, that's an important message. But to be honest, even the selection of the youngest son is a selection of privilege, right? The invisible, invisible choice would be one of Jesse's daughters. The divine choice would be his queer son. But, but stay tuned, because there's still some things we don't know about David. So you'll have to come back to, to find out more about that. That's interesting. So God sees those who aren't there. God sees those who are ignored and rejected and on the outside of society. Now, I told you before I left for vacation that this summer we were going to a family reunion. And I imagine many of you had experiences like this. And, and this family reunion, like most family gatherings, included relatives whose political perspectives are radically different than my own. Can you imagine? So I also told you that I would come back and tell you what happened. So this is what happened. I prepared for the reunion. I mean, I had said something about it in a sermon, so you would have thought that I would have had, like, been more sort of, I don't know, holy about my preparation for this, but I prepared for the reunion by thinking through hypothetical scenarios of how I could prove everyone wrong. <laughs> I was supposed to, like, use my position of power and influence for good, right, in these situations. But, uh, but I was preparing for arguments, right? Because that's what we do when we gather together with people who think differently than us. And then I got to the reunion. And I saw my aunts and my uncles and my cousins. And instead of talking about politics, I talked with my aunt 
about how she and, and my cousins were doing after my uncle had died. I talked to one of my uncles who had been recovering from ankle replacement surgery, which was something I didn't even know they did. And I ate way too many no-bake cookies that my aunt had, had made for the reunion. And she made them specifically because she knew that when I was a kid, these were my favorite cookies, right? People are complicated. Our world is, is complicated. Clowns, <laughs> they're so much more than their makeup and their funny clothes, right? Those who society ignores are so much more valuable than we tend to assume. And even the people with whom we disagree, even the people in our family and at the family reunions and in our community with whom we disagree, they're so much more than our disagreements. We are so much more than our one perspective or our, our many perspectives. Most of life, it seems, is happening under the surface. We see very little of what is actually happening in each person's life. And our faith, instead of keeping us from seeing, is intended to take us to those places of depth in relationship with one another, with, within our, our, our own story and our own lives, and, and within our community and wider world. Our faith is supposed to take us to those places where we might discover something new, maybe about ourselves or about somebody else or about what's happening in the world. Our faith is intended to take us to those deep places where on the surface it looks like I have nothing in common anymore with these people in my family. And my faith, in that moment at least this summer, took me to a place where I could recognize traces of our common humanity. And, and that's what our faith is supposed to do. Take us to places that we can't imagine going so that we can find those traces of our common humanity and begin to heal some of the divisions that are, are such a significant part of our world. That's it. Let's pray. And Jesus, we pray that you would breathe life into our faith so that we might see those whom you see, so that we might see what you see, that we might be a part of lifting people up, God, we pray that you would take us deeper and deeper still. Amen.